Out of the night Hopper came, and Perrin was one with the wolf. Hopper, the cub who watched the eagles soar and wanted so badly to fly through the sky as the eagles did, the cub who hopped and jumped and leaped until he could leap higher than any other wolf, and who never lost the cub's yearning to soar through the sky. Out of the night Hopper came and left the ground in a leap, soaring like the eagles. The white cloaks had only a moment to begin cursing before Hopper's jaws closed on the throat of the man with the lance leveled at Perrin. The big wolf's momentum carried them both off the other side of the horse. Perrin felt the throat crushing, tasted the blood. Hello, I'm Will, and this is my wife, Dallas. Hi! And this is Not the Beginning, a podcast where a longtime Wheel of Time fan and someone who's never read the series before read through each of the 14 books in this very long series. A warning, this podcast may not be suitable for younger audiences and will contain spoilers. If you've not read Robert Jordan's The Eye of the World, please proceed with caution. On this episode of Not the Beginning, we will be diving in and discussing chapters 28 through 31 of The Eye of the World. I have not read past chapter 31, and Will is going to do his best not to bring in anything from the rest of The Eye of the World or the other 13 books during our discussion. So as long as you've read through chapter 31, you should be good. If you haven't, I recommend pausing here and going to read them. All right. Last episode, we left off with Perrin and Egwene and Elias leaving the Tinkers. But this time, we're picking back up with Nynaeve, Moraine, and Lan as they arrive in Whitebridge. When they get there, there are signs that signs of the trouble that uh, Rand, Matt, and Tom had experienced. Some houses burned, a town militia patrolling the streets. Moraine can tell that Rand and Matt have passed through recently, but decides to go after Perrin, who still has his silver coin. Meanwhile, with Perrin and Egwene, they and Elias, like I said, have left the Tinkers and are traveling south. They eventually come across just a massive swarm of ravens that descends and attacks them and eviscerates a fox. They're running from them to a setting uh, where Elias says that they'll be safe from the ravens. While running, though, Perrin can feel the wolves running with them, talking to him. And he also begins to wonder if he maybe could have, if he was capable of killing Egwene out of mercy if she had been caught by the ravens, trying to avoid having her share the same fate as that fox they ran by. While in the steading, Perrin is warned, and Elias as well, by the wolves that there are people on horseback coming. Perrin and Egwene hide, but Perrin can feel the wolves being chased down. Eventually, they're confronted by several of these men who turn out to be white cloaks. While kind of being questioned by two of the white cloaks that show up, one of the wolves, Hopper, jumps out of the middle of the night, kills one of the white cloaks, but is killed himself by some of these lance-wielding white cloaks. This causes Perrin to go into sort of a bestial rage and attack the white cloaks. Then he is swiftly knocked unconscious. When he wakes up, he discovers that he and Egwene are both being held by the white cloaks. Their commander, Jeffrem Bornhold, questions them, intends to take them to Camelon and then eventually to Amador. Egwene will be interrogated in Amador, but Perrin will be executed for killing two white cloaks in that rage. Meanwhile, Rand and Matt are traveling east towards Camelon, working at farms for food and places to sleep. Matt's been really suspicious of everyone, clutching the dagger that he stole from Shadar Logoth, causing Rand problems. Eventually, though, they come across the Grinwell farm, where they spend the night in exchange for some work, and they realize there, as they're entertaining the Grinwell family, that they don't have to work at, at farms. They could use the glee man skills that Tom taught them on the spray to get rooms and food at inns. So three perspectives here, which kind of cuts down on the amount of stuff that can happen, but nonetheless, it's a pretty big section. 
Yeah, a lot happens, at least with Perrin and Egwene. Yeah. Not anything really happens with Nynaeve, Maureen, and Lan, or with Rand and Matt. Nothing nothing huge plot-wise. No. You learn a lot about how Matt's handling the dagger here, though. Yeah, there's some golem energy coming. Big, big golem energy, which is the worst kind of big energy to have. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's not the energy you want. No. Um, but yeah, there, the big takeaway from this section is Perrin and Egwene getting captured. Yeah. I would say it's that and, like, hard confirmation that Perrin can talk to wolves. Before, it was always kind of like, I can feel the wolves, maybe, sort of, I can do a thing. And then here, it's like, no, he's talking to the wolves. There's one point where, like, Elias is, like, waiting for... Perrin to be like, yeah, we need to go. Yeah. And like puts them at a little bit of risk because Elias is like, I need to know if you're like me. Yeah. He was waiting for confirmation from him there and Perrin was reluctant to give it, I think partially because he doesn't want to acknowledge that he has this power, but he's also very afraid at how Gwen's going to react. He does it. Terrified of it. Terrified of it. And he doesn't want to seem different in her eyes. Yeah. Well, I think that Perrin thinks kind of like Matt before with the old tongue was like, no, no, this isn't anything. Perrin is kind of having a similar reaction where it's like, I'm different. Am I, am I maybe the dragon reborn? Am I going to destroy the world? Are I said I going to hunt me down? Elias is kind of saying that like, yeah, they're going to hunt you down. Yeah, he is. And it's interesting because, like, I don't think, I don't think talking to wolves is necessarily an indication that someone is the dragon reborn or else Elias would have been hunted down a long ass time ago. You might be right. And, like, it's... Elias does seem to have some history with Aes Sedai, though. He does, but it could just be in the same manner as Tom. Okay. Although I feel like he did mention that they tried to run him down, but then they did tests on him, and they're like, nah, you're good. I think they tried to do tests on tests on him. This is one of the... This section is one of the, like, early bits where we talk about a little bit, like, a, like a, there's, like, one line about the internal structure of the Aes Sedai and how they're broken out. It doesn't explain this, but they're broken out into Ajas. And Elias specifically mentions the red Aja. Which I feel like had been mentioned before because it sounded familiar. I'm not entirely sure. Tom may have mentioned it before. It wasn't It wasn't a term that I immediately wrote down in my notebook because I hadn't seen it before. Right. And I haven't been looking at anything online. Yeah. So it's not like I would have seen it on a Wikipedia page or anything like that. Yeah, we learn so much more about the Ajas that this is just kind of like a, it's a thing to look out for, the Ajas. Yeah. Yeah, so Perrin and Egwene with the wolves, they are traveling really quickly. And the wolves are kind of acting as their scouts, it yeah. seems. Elias has them basically at a dead run for a while. Yeah, and he's like taking great pains to cover their tracks. Like they aren't allowed to use fires if they do set a fire they can't break twigs off they have to just collect what is around because they don't want any like indication that someone has been there right and it's not really clear what elias is afraid of because at some point Egwene asks like are we on the run from trollocs and he says no but they keep running at this grueling pace and then when they come across the ravens he seems surprised by them So he's not even sure what they're running from. He just knows that that they have to run. He's just got a bad feeling about it. And to his credit, his bad feeling was very right because those ravens meant business. Yeah, they did. There was like hundreds of them. It was like the birds, and I would not want to be. Except all the birds are 
angry and focused. They are angry and focused in the Hitchcock movie as well. I mean, more so. Like, they have a singular goal, and that goal is kill Perrin and Egwene and Elias. Yeah. They're not just out for wanton destruction. They want to kill Perrin and Egwene and Elias. And probably they just want to kill Perrin. And everyone else is just a byproduct. Right. Yeah, uh, but they... yeah, they, they swoop in on that on that fox and just annihilate it. And they almost kill the wolves, too. Yeah, Elias specifically has to send to the wolves, look up. Yeah. Because dogs don't look up. I mean, I guess that makes sense. Yeah. But, yeah, the wolves get pretty badly hurt by these ravens as well, and they just keep they keep running, yeah. even though they're, they don't even stop to lick their wounds. No. One wolf lost an eye. Like, you know, I can't help but think that that encounter with the ravens is kind of what led the wolves to have such a hard time with the white cloaks. Because they, they were run ragged being on the lookout. They right. clearly haven't stopped to sleep because they're like running in 18 different directions trying to figure out where they can go to be safe. And then they don't have time to stop and lick their wounds. Yep. They don't... They're just hurt and exhausted and white cloaks are dicks. Yeah. I mean... Poor Hopper. Poor Hopper. R.A.P. Hopper. That's. I think that was the wolf that lost an eye, too. So just was like, it? Yeah, I, I think... I thought that was, uh, like, Burn or someone. No, Burn left. Yeah, Burn left. Burn left before all of this happened. Yeah, I might have been... I, in my mind, I had it as Dapple or Wind, maybe. Maybe. Maybe it was Dapple. I don't know. But... Yeah, Wolf lost an eye, then Hopper died. Perrin goes nuts. Perrin merges with the wolf, in a way, and then goes nuts. I was a little confused at the sequence of events there, so maybe you can kind of clear it up for me. Because how I read it is that, like, he became one with the wolf and started going nuts as the wolf was going nuts, and then... I guess killed white cloaks and then blacked out when Hopper died because he said he's not sure if he died or the wolf died. So yeah. how I read that passage was that when Hopper was killed is when he blacked out because and he wasn't sure if it was him dying or the wolf because it was just all of his senses were melded together in that moment. Yeah. So I think first off, this whole the whole Heron section is a little confusing, and I think it is largely because Heron himself is very, it's just a very confused individual right now. Yeah. Like, the, the whole being able to talk to wolves has really thrown him for a loop, and I think Jordan does a very good job of expressing that in how he's writing it. Because yeah. it's a confusing section because Perrin, Perrin's view of the world isn't right right now. Yeah, I, w- I had a hard time with this section. I mean, the whole section in general, but specifically the Perrin and Egwene chapters. I had a hard time parsing out what was happening. And I had to, like, go back and read sections yeah. more. And I was just having a hard time trying to figure out, like, what is actually happening here. Right. And I definitely, I picked up on that when I was reading it, too. And I, I, one thing that made me really like this bit is that it's not like it's, he's not writing, Perrin isn't mad. Perrin's not insane, he's just confused. And so it's not something that, it's not presented as something that makes sense but is wrong. It's it's presented as something that doesn't make sense, which I think is an important distinction in writing because he's not trying to present things as accurate. He's trying to present them as he sees them. So you're seeing Perrin's point of view here really well, I think. And so that kind of comes into the end when Hopper is killed, where I think that the wolves don't have any reason to hold back what they're feeling with each other. 
They're pack animals. They just let their emotions off. And so Perrin is picking up on that because he's a human and doesn't know how to filter these things out. And he also doesn't know how to filter out what the wolves are actually saying or experiencing either. Like, he can't tell the difference between the wolves and himself at certain moments. and Because there were certain moments where he's like, they smell weird to me. And he's like, no, they smell weird to the wolves. That's what you're experiencing. Right. But do they, I mean, they could just, they could smell weird to him. He has also has some weird eyesight stuff going on. Yeah, his his senses are clearly starting to become more wolf-like. The longer he talks to them, talks to them, interacts with them, lets yeah. lets himself merge with them in a yeah. way because I feel like I feel like every time he talks to them, it's kind of like he's merging with them. It almost seems like he's warging into them. I think that's a really good analogy, actually. He's not, but I think that there's a lot of similarities. But I think that, like, a lot of the same things that in Game of Thrones a warg can, like, they actually go into that animal. Right. But even when they're not actively warging, they have a different relationship with the animals that they warg into. Yeah. Like, Bran has a special relationship with his wolf summer summer i think summer i think summer and it's we don't know that you can't actually just go and inhabit a wolf or at least i don't at this current moment like that's true we don't really know what the extent of parents connection to these wolves are and how the wolves can then affect parent this is very true like is it because is his increased eyesight and increased sense of smell because he has been communicating with these wolves and the skill is transferring over or is it something that like even if he's away from wolves for a very long time he'll retain is it like the longer he spends with wolves the more wolf-like he becomes and maybe he can stop that process we don't really know that yet i think a lot of those questions are kind of what's plaguing perrin because at this point we know more about what's happening to perrin than perrin does yeah because we have we can at least point to Elias and we can see we can kind of like extrapolate what's happening to Perrin from what Elias is well and because Elias's eyes actually look like wolf eyes that's so and Perrin obviously right now doesn't have wolf eyes or else I feel like that would have been a description like the white cloaks probably would have been like hey you have evil eyes yeah although they did the white cloaks do tie him and Egwene up they do with a lot of rope. A lot of rope. Well, Perrin kind of goes nuts and kills two of them with an axe. And they're like armored dudes on horses. Well, and he kind of goes rabid. He's he's going rabid, basically. Yeah. And he goes rabid on them when he's tied up. Like, he tries to break out of his ropes, even though he looked at the ropes. And he's like, ah, oh, they've been, like, bound six times over. And he still, like, fights against these ropes, cutting into his, like, he's bleeding. And he doesn't care. Yeah. And he has to control his emotions more than once to avoid getting hit in the head again. Yeah. One thing I think... When he's talking to these white cloaks. Is kind of... uh, They don't touch on it much, but I think a very interesting implication here is that when they enter the setting, right? This is that, 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 like, safe place. The one power isn't there. Egwene feels off. Egwene can channel, so she, at least, even in her super untrained state, has some sort of connection to the one power, and she feels it instantly. Mm Mm-hmm. Perrin feels something shift, but Perrin's stuff still works. Which is another indication that the talking to wolves and interacting with the wolves isn't, at, at least it's not channeling the one power. No. Because neither his or Elias's powers would work. If anything, when he's in the steading, he actually, his powers get stronger. It seems like something yeah. about the one power might be blocking. M- maybe. I, I it, think it's more a function of 
time than the one power. Okay. Elias and Balzamon both are, are make comments in earlier sections about this being an old thing, that it existed before the one power. Okay. So I don't know that it necessarily has to do with the one power. It could be just that not being in danger for like the first time in several days has allowed Perrin the space to be like, hey, I can see in the dark. Yeah. Well, and he doesn't even notice it until Egwene's like... You can see that? You can see that? And then when uh, that was another side I had to go back and read because I was getting a little confused. But when I read it the second time after I realized he can see in the dark... Like, when he waved over to Egwene, she didn't follow him. It's because she couldn't see him. Right. It's not... It, it's from his perspective. And he's just like, hi, I, I can see you. But Egwene's over there like, I'm blind. It's dark. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of stuff with Parent and the Wolves in general. And we're just kind of getting into it. We got into it a little bit last time because Elias shows up last time. Yeah. Here, he just he just nopes off and the white clothes show up. Elias is like, bye. This is not worth it. And I kind of get it. Do you think he noped off? I think he noped off. I think he went with the rest of the wolves, and once Hopper died, the wolves are like, eh, I'm gonna run. Yeah. Because Elias is basically a wolf. And it makes a lot of sense if you think about how Perrin is starting to experience the world with an enhanced sense of sight. If he gets the wolves' enhanced sense of smell and hearing, you can see how somebody who has that might avoid a city. That's fair. It's loud and people smell bad. Sensory overload. Right. And if Elias has these senses and is so in tune with wolves, he just wants to be alone in the wilderness. I just, I don't necessarily think he noped off because he took such great care in trying to protect these two that I, it doesn't seem likely that he just was like, mm, not worth it. It's like you stuck through for the ravens and you stuck through for the idea of Trollocs, but white cloaks are going to get you. All of the things that aren't white cloaks have to do with the dark one. And it's made pretty clear that... That wolves hate the Dark One. I think that there's something up with these white cloaks in the Dark One, though. Is it the Dark One, or is it more like the evil of Shadar Logoth, where these white cloaks, they just hate the evil, but they see seem, evil differently. They do. It's just, they seem extreme. There's that to, Yeah, but I think my brain is stuck on the they smell different. That's fair. Like, they smell, it wasn't that they smelled weird, wasn't that they smelled different. I think the word was wrong. They smell wrong. There's probably something to that. This is a little, a little tricky, but wolves communicate in emotions, basically. Complex emotions. Yeah. When he, when we talk about Hopper, like we did the quote for this episode, that's like the, Hopper's described as the emotions of those things, right? He's the emotion, he, he is the feeling of a wolf cub looking at the sky and wanting to be an eagle wanting to jump high, the feeling of soaring through the air. And so people also give off those emotions, they just don't know it. Kind of like how dogs can smell fear. Yeah. I just, yeah, it just seems that there's something to do. Like, these white cloaks seemed different than the white cloaks that they interacted with in... Barillon. Barillon. They're the same ones. Are they the same yeah. exact ones? Bornholm. You get a first name this time, but that, like, white cloak captain that tried to stop them mm-hmm. before Egwene, or not Egwene, Moraine ballooned up to the size of a building, or larger than the wall. Yeah. Uh, that was Bornholm. Now he's Jeff from Bornholm. Oh, I didn't realize that was the same guy. It's the same guy. And I assume that Bayar, the one who is like, let's just kill him now. 
now, there's something not right with Bayar. See, there's something not right about him, and I don't know, they seemed different than they were before, so... Well, they got... I think it's mostly Bayar, because Perrin gets, like, stern grandpa vibes from Bornhold. Mm-hmm. When Bornhold first shows up, he's like, oh, it's just a grandpa, and then Bornhold's like, I'm not mad, I'm just gonna execute you. I was a little confused with that, too. I think it was the line, um, I wasn't sure what a gibbet was. That's just an executioner's thing. Okay. Because, yeah, see, I was like, are they taking him to put him on trial? They're taking him to behead him. Cool. Because he killed two people. He's basically a murderer. Yeah. Very, very strong self-defense argument, especially against the children of the light. Yeah. Because, like, they don't really, they don't fuck around. Yeah. Basically, just... he also like is like Egwene can be saved, but he's gonna give her to questioners, and we've Doesn't been over this before. Good. One, they're called questioners, and not in a nice way. Yeah. Two, they're white cloaks, and three, very heavily implied torture. It seems a lot like the creepy religious organization in Game of Thrones too. With the which one? The one with the things on their forehead that like the oh the yeah. seven the light of the seven or yeah. whatever the sparrows the sparrows like they tortured people to get them to confess to things and yeah. then like made them walk naked through the street and like yeah something deeply wrong with these people yes and apparently the questioners are worse wonderful yeah before they get to the parent execution bit they're gonna go to Camelin. yeah did they I don't remember Perrin's... did they say why they're going to Camelin? no I don't think so I mean clearly right now Camelin's the place to be everybody's going to Camelin. everyone's going to Camelin. It's, we might find out why everyone's going to Camelin, or it could just be because plot dictates that everyone's going to Camelin. there is a reason why everybody's going to Camelin. okay and it's not just because plot I wouldn't necessarily be mad if it was just because plot it's, it's the like, middle of the book it's the middle yeah and I think that's the other reason I had a harder time with this section because I always always have a hard time with like that 5% right after the midpoint, which is where we are. Yeah. Because this is episode six. So it is like we split things up and we split the book up into 10 chunks. Roughly 65 pages each chunk. Right. So about 10% of the book. Right. So like I always have a hard time with that like 5% right after the midpoint. Yep. It's also the suckiest part to write too. So I kind of like I get it. I have, I always have a hard I always have the hardest time writing the scene after the midpoint and so I have a hard time reading the scene after the midpoint and since we broke it up this way if I had read straight from the midpoint on I probably would have been able to get through it faster through it, yeah but because it's broken up on its own section I'm just like why am I doing this yeah. I think here the multiple perspectives helps though a little bit. Because you can get, you can focus the part that's the hardest on one character and just have the other characters lighten things up or make it easier. Because, like, after Perrin's ordeal, we go to Rand, and that's nice. And I think if Rand's bit had come before Perrin's bit, the bit with Nynaeve and Moraine and Leon also would have been a nice break. Yeah. From the, like, shit that is Perrin's life right now. Yeah, he's just struggling. And, like, there are some nice moments between him and Egwene. It's like they're... I don't think he has anything to worry about how Egwene sees him. I don't think so. He is very worried about it, and it's literally, and he says it because he loves her. He says the words. But not like that. (laughs) He says, but not like that because him and, or because her and Rand, and then he's just like, I've got my own shit to deal with. I can't deal with the fact that I'm in love with Egwene. Like, and he's he is right about that. He's got his own shit to deal with. 
But, and then when they're, like, almost getting, when they're on the run from the White Cloaks, she's like, if we get home by Sunday, will you dance with me? And so it's, he doesn't have to worry about that, at least. But I think it's almost comforting for him to worry about that as well, because that's a very normal, normal worry. It's like, it's something, (laughs) he's got so many things to worry about that are so out of the norm. That sometimes when you worry about something as inane as, like, does my crush think of me differently because of this thing? It's like everyone worries about that. So it's a little comforting to have those worries. You know what's not a normal worry to have? Am I going to kill her out of mercy if the ravens catch her? Yeah, well... Because he he worries about that a lot. And then he has, like, a conversation with Elias about it. Well, that's when he says that he loves her. Because Elias is like, what, do you hate her that much? And he's like, no, I love her. But not like that? Question mark. Yeah, and they have a really interesting conversation about the axe. Because after Perrin realizes that, like, yeah, I would probably put Egwene out of her mercy, uh, you know, out of her struggle, out of mercy, if it came to it, he's like, I hate this axe and what it's done to me. He's, like, blaming everything on the axe, which is a very, like, denial thing to do. Yeah, and I do really like the line Elias had after that, and he's like, it's good that you hate it, that's why you'll keep using it. You'll keep using it as long as you hate it. You'll keep using it as long as you hate it, and you'll use it better than any other person would. Yeah. The second you start liking using it is when you need to get the fuck out of Dodge. Like, it's when you need to throw it away and, like... Elias is like, if you start, Elias is basically just like, if you start liking using the axe, just yeet it. (laughs) Yeet. Get rid of it. Get rid of it and go somewhere else. Which, uh, to be fair, seems like Elias's MO all the time is just go somewhere else. That's fair. So I don't know if that's necessarily the best advice, but the the advice about you're going to use it better than most people as long as you don't like using it, I think is really good. And I think that applies to a lot of things. Yeah, people who want to be in power are usually the scarier people. It's like I think it's more or at least the people who want to be in power because it's ha- because it's power, not because they think they can do something good with it. Like the difference between someone like running for president because they think that they can change things versus wanting to be president because it's a cool position. Okay. Like yeah. I'm scared of the second one. Yeah. You you want people who don't necessarily want power, but need it to do a good thing. Yeah. People who would get rid of it if they could. Right. And because, and clearly Perrin wants to get rid of it, which means he's going to use this power well. And I think that also goes to him talking to the wolves because he doesn't want to be able to talk to the wolves. Yeah. And then when he does realize that he can't really feel the wolves anymore when they're being, when they're tied up with the white cloaks, he's like, I got what I wanted, but the cost was too high. Right. Which well, is another thing. With I keep making note of the price was too high. Uh-huh. I think that's one of my like recurring things that I was okay. tracking. Because I'm still trying to figure out Tam. <laughs> Tam, yeah. <laughs> I'm still trying to figure out Tam. Good old Tam Althor. If Tam doesn't show up ever again, I'm going to be so mad. I have so many questions. What I find really weird, and as we're recording this today, we just got a little bit of news about season two of the Wheel of Time show. It was announced that they're going to do one. That kind of reminded me, do you know who plays Tam in the show? Isn't it Bruce Bruce Bolton? Bolton, Which is just... (laughs) What? Go from really shitty evil dad to just like kind of chill farmer dad. 
I don't... Roose Bolton wasn't that evil. Roose Bolton was real evil. He he guess, created Ramsay. Yeah, and what's-his-face created Cersei, but I don't think he was all that evil either, and Cersei's fucked up. Cersei's not evil. Cersei's just nuts. So is Ramsay Bolton. A little bit. Anyway, this is not a Game of Thrones podcast. This is not a Game of Thrones podcast. Because at some point, if we were doing that, we'd have to talk about season eight, and I would just drop into a vegetative state if I had to acknowledge the existence of season eight. Let us just cross our fingers that season eight doesn't happen to the wheel of time. It's done. The series is done, so it'll be a lot harder. If they're following the source material, it'll it'll be a lot harder. And this is why I wanted a Wheel of Time TV show for ages because it's done it was done in 2011 and there's 14 books if you cut out a lot of stuff from the books you still have enough to make a really good show yeah because i mean there's a lot that you can cut out it's what i was saying like this section the only thing that like if i was doing a summary of the whole book the only thing i would have pulled out of this section is that Perrin and Egwene get captured by white cloaks yeah which is a little bit of a shame because the stuff that happens to Rand and Matt is really funny. Yeah, it takes them so long to figure out that they can just glee man themselves out at ends. Like, why are you trying to, like, shovel hay for people and sleep in their barns? Before getting chased out by dogs. Which I have, I have thoughts about that. But yeah, why would you... Why would you shovel hay and, like, sleep in the road when you could just walk into an inn and be like, hey, I can juggle. Right, I can entertain your people. Just give me room and board. Right, they're not even asking for money. Because they're like, we know we don't have the skills of a great glee man. Together, we, even, like, just the two of them have skills of half a glee man, and there's two of them. Although, I, I will say they have probably, like, half of Tom's skills. But I think Tom is probably much better than your average Glee man. That's fair. I mean, he is a character in the book, so... He is a character in the book. I would say he's a named character in the book, but this is the Wheel of Time, let's be real. They're they're all named. Yeah, all there's... of the Greenwell family has names. Right. But yeah, it, like, of course Tom is a better Glee man than most Glee men because he's a main character in at least the first book of a 14-book series. Yeah. I am not convinced that he is dead. I'm still on the no body, no crime. Okay. So until... No one in Whitebridge, though, is like, hey, that glee man. But they were lying about how the whole thing happened. They were. And they wanted Nynaeve, Moraine, and Lan gone. Right. It's just like, get out of here. You're asking questions about a thing that happened, and I think that you're the reason this thing happened to begin with, even though you weren't here. So we're just going to lie to you and tell you to get the fuck out. Yeah, but anyway, back with back with Rand and Matt. We'll get we'll get to Nynaeve in a bit because honestly, the least happens there. Yeah. Uh, with Rand and Matt, they they're they're running around, or they're not really running around. They're running to Camelin. They don't realize that hey, we have skills we can use. We don't just have to do manual labor. And they only realize this when they get to the Grinwell House. They do manual labor at the Grinwell House in exchange for room and board. And getting their clothes cleaned. And getting their clothes cleaned. This is so far the nicest family they've encountered. Yeah. Which is nice for them because it is kind of where things... It's a, tr- it's, it's a turning around point for them. Yeah, well, huh, uh, we'll see. Yeah, there are things about the Gridwells that remind both of them of home. That is a thing that every to every village they passed, Rand would always like stop and look and because it reminded him of home, but he has to keep convincing himself that it's not home. Yeah. And then he's like, I'm never gonna see home again. Right. Which I mean, it's a fourteen book series. You could go home. Like he could go assuming home. you don't die at the end of this book. That's true. Rand is real homesick. 
and you know this because when Mistress Grinwell, I don't know if she's actually given a name, she probably is, uh, is like feeding them. He's like, this feels like Mr. Salvier. Yeah. And well, because she is like the second that they come in, she's like, all right, we're, we ha- like we can find work for you. From one, right. like we can find work for you. Yeah. It's a very like motherly. Yeah, thing. she and, and she's like, but your clothes are gross. Put on my husband's clothes, and we'll like. Yep. And, so and they, you can do the work, and then you'll have your nice clean clothes, and then we'll give you food, and... You can, like, hang out with us. Yeah. And then they start to... So I think it starts because there are children, and Matt... The, like, one thing in the world Matt can tolerate right now is children. Yeah, it was a glimpse of him being himself again. Right, he's, he's, like, juggling and entertaining the children, and Rand is like, it looks like he's him again. Yeah. Bit. Not fully, but he, you know, it looks he's at least back. it looks at least like the Matt before he took the dagger. Because I mean, Matt had started to go a little bit PTSD because he's got some trauma going on. But at least he was still like trying to make jokes. But it was more like you could tell he was making the jokes to cope. Yeah. And now he's not even making jokes to cope. No, now he's just suspicious of everyone. He is clutching that fucking dagger like. It's a bad, bad time. Their point of view chapter starts with that moment. Yeah. Rand suggests that they should sell the dagger for some money so that they can well, buy Well, no, food. not even that. It would, oh, yeah, um, it starts a little earlier. They're, like, trying to hide from some horses because they're not sure if it's fades or not. Every time they see dust kicking up on the road, they hide off the side of the road yeah. until whatever horses are there pass. And, you know, Rand grabs his the hilt of his sword so that he's ready in case someone tries to attack him. And Matt is clutching his dagger, but he's doing it in a way that Rand isn't sure if it's to protect himself or to protect the dagger. Right. And at this point, I do think that Rand or that Matt would die for the dagger. Maybe, I think. Because he's like, he's looking ready to like punch out Rand for suggesting to sell it, like you said. And he's like, well, why don't you sell your sword? I was like, no, that's my dad's sword. And he's like making it seem like the dagger is as important to him as Rand's dad's sword is. Right, and it absolutely is not. Because for one thing, sword versus dagger. And and two, you just stole this dagger from like a creepy shadow guy. And also like Rand's sword never gets dull. Well, we don't know what the powers of the dagger are. We don't. Because it hasn't been used yet. But whatever they are, it's bad. Yeah. (laughs) It is bad because he's going all Gollum like my precious on it. Like Fun, ever sharp sword versus evil ruby dagger. I'll take the sword, please. Yeah. Anyway, they're at the Grinwells. Matt's juggling. Rand takes out a flute and starts playing some songs. And a couple things happen here. This is kind of about when Rand realizes, why aren't we just play? Like, we're not terrible at this. These people are really entertained. Why don't we just do this? And two, Els Grinwell wants it. (laughs) Yeah, it starts with her just sitting there, like, sipping some lemonade, watching them work. Because Rand's shirt is a size too small, and so his muscles are flexing, and she's, like, watching. And she's just, and he's, like, has this moment, which is so funny to me, is that, like, Perrin would know what to do here. Which is just, like, we no. talked about this last episode, when Rand, when Perrin was, like, Rand would know what to do with these girls. No, he wouldn't. Neither one of them actively doesn't know what to do. Sorry, that makes no sense. Neither <laughs> one of them actively knows what to do right now. They are both very confused. They're both very confused. So Rand's just like, I want this girl to stop staring at me. 
Because I think he's like, and I think this time the reason we get kicked out is going to be because of me, not because of Matt being creepy. And that, that is why, that's what I was saying, like I had thoughts on it. Matt is the reason that they keep getting kicked out early because he's being so suspicious of everything. Everything. That it's making people suspicious of him. Right. Um, and like sometimes that, he doesn't even... Is that him acting or is that just the dagger's influence? I don't, I mean, he's so, whether it is or not, that's not the point. Like, he's suspicious of everything. And, like, they got kicked out of doing something before they even finished work. Someone set their dogs on them. I mean, the town, or the house right before, house, the house right before the Grinwells. Grinwells, they're like, oh, thank you for doing work. We just realized that our kids are coming to stay, so we don't have a bed for you, but here's some food. Bye. Whereas some other families legit just chased them off with dogs. Right. And so when the Grinwells take them in, it's like, first of all, they're not noticing Matt, which is strange. But Rand is like, it's going to be me this time that gets us kicked out because the daughter is like Els, super thirsty. Els is um, Randy. <laughs> <laughs> puns. I love puns. Oh, you and your terrible but, jokes. Yup. And the, just the, the she's watching Rand work and then Rand decides you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna play an instrument. And sure, it's a flute, which is probably the least sexy instrument of all time. Yeah, it's not like a guitar or a saxophone. Right, but Used once to... again, Rand just playing saxophone. <laughs> anyway, um, it, it's he's still playing the flute fairly well. And at the end of the night, they're like, the the Mistress Grin, Grinwell goes. She looks at Els and looks at Rand and is like, "You two can sleep in Els' room. She'll sleep with me." And the father just doesn't even pick up on it. Like, Master Grinwell doesn't pick up on it. No, he doesn't. He's like, what's what's the point of that? And she's like, no, no, she'll sleep with me. She'll be fine. They've got to get up early and leave anyway. It is so, like, just the mom and dad energy in that scene is, like, it's very dad energy to, like, not even notice that your daughter is, like. Maybe he did notice and he just is like, it'd be okay if she married him. He can play the flute. He works. He's tall. Yeah. He's a good looking he's a good looking chap. Yeah. Like yeah. But no, they are uh, on the run from Charlox, and I don't think that he'd be very happy if his daughter married a possible one of three possible dragon reborns at no. the moment. That would not not go over well. No. Not at all. Not at all. There is there is a very good, like not super intense cliffhanger at the end of this, which we'll get to. But first, before we do that, I want to talk a little bit about what happens in Whitebridge with Nynaeve, Moraine, and Lan. Before we do that, I just have one more thing about Matt and his fucking dagger. He's also talking in his sleep, which is just never a good sign. No. Never he's just, uh, there's a line with Rand and he's like, oh, you know, we're, we're glee manning ourselves out. They're not noticing how sketchy R- Matt is being. And But I have to share a bed with him and he just keeps murmuring in his sleep, which is just not a thing that is good. No, it's especially not something you want when you're sharing a bed with someone. No. Sleep talking is creepy. It is a little bit. My sister used to sleep talk. I used to sleep talk, so. It's creepy. If I, if I ever get stressed out enough, eventually I might start sleep talking. Please do not. Make an active choice while you are asleep. Do not sleep talk. Thank you. This has been not the beginning. And it's it's over now because my wife might sleep talk. <laughs> it was nice while it lasted. Um, but yeah, so Whitebridge. 
Nynaeve, Moraine, and Lan are traveling to Whitebridge, and Nynaeve does not like Moraine. Well, we she wants she wants her gone. But the new bit of information we kind of get is that, at least on Nynaeve's perspective, is that she not only does she not like Moraine, but she doesn't like that she doesn't like Moraine because it's it's, it's like she's giving Moraine power over her. Yeah, and that's she doesn't like that her dislike of Moraine is changing who she is and giving power to Moraine. And she especially doesn't like that Moraine knows that Nynaeve doesn't like her. And just doesn't care at all. (laughs) Doesn't care at all. And Moraine knows that Nynaeve doesn't like her and is giving power to Moraine. Moraine knows the power she has over Nynaeve right now. And she isn't even acting on it. No, and, and that's what's that's pissing off thing- Nynaeve yeah. even more. It's like that's you're one of the not even setting her off. You're not even using the power I'm giving you. Yep. Because Moraine's just like, I need to find these boys. That's the only thought in her brain is I need to find these boys. Yeah. Land is trying to help. Land's not doing a great job helping though. Yeah. Not in like a bad way. It's just he has nothing to do here. Right. Lan is not being his most land self. He's not being dad land right now. He's no. just kind of like what do I do here? Because he's kind of with two moms. There are no children to dad. He usually dads he doesn't... Moraine, though. We've decided that Lan is John Mulaney's father, the driving this up to true. a McDonald's window, grabbing one black coffee, except it's not for him, it's for Moraine. That's true. But Moraine doesn't have to be mom here. Moraine can just be Moraine. That's true. And also Nynaeve is apparently also mom because he respects Nynaeve's sneakery. Yes. And he also has one of his two emotions towards Nynaeve in this section. Yes. Rock and slightly softer rock. Yes. And usually slightly softer rock is saved for Moraine. But he has a slightly softer rock moment with Nynaeve because they're talking about which boy to go after. And, you know, they've... At this point, they've gone through Whitebridge. And Nynaeve is like, clearly we're on Matt and Rand's tail. Because like they've clearly traveled through here and they're on their way to Camelin. Why don't we just keep going after them? And she's like, because I don't know where they are specifically. I'd rather find Perrin and then have Perrin go with us to find them. I know exactly where Perrin is right now. Right. And there, there are two other elements here. Nynaeve also wants to go after Egwene. I guess shut down pretty quick. Yeah. Um, but also Moraine is saying, basically, Miranda and Matt are going to Camelin. If they are even slightly intelligent, they'll wait in Camelin. We know that they're going there. Yeah. I don't know where Perrin is going, and I can find him easier. Right. So let's go there. Nynaeve also makes, like, a, a comment, uh, I guess thinks a comment, that at one point, like, Lane would be so much better off without Moraine. <laughs> and she says it in a way, and then quickly has to change her thinking to because he can handle himself, which means her brain was going somewhere else. It was. Nynaeve <laughs> is nursing a little crush on Lan, which I mean, fair. A little bit or a big one. Because for, for Nynaeve, I feel like that's pretty big. That's true. I feel like she doesn't bother with crushes. Nynaeve is a strong, independent woman. Yes. Who really hates everything that says that she might not be. Yeah. Including feeling attraction for men. Yeah. Or, or women. We don't know Nynaeve's deal. We don't. We don't know anyone's deal. Well, okay, we know at least part of Nynaeve's deal, which is she's definitely crushing on Lan. Yeah. So she at least is attracted to Lan. Which, I mean, fair. Yeah. Like, some, I have already said that out of this book, Lan is my book boyfriend. Some rocks can get it. <laughs> Sexy rocks. Sexy rocks. Yeah, she wants 
Moraine out of the picture. Very much so. For multiple just, reasons. Like, just go back to the White Tower. We'll handle it. <laughs> I can run off into the sunset with my hot water boyfriend. Yep. That's, I mean, no, not that. I want to run off into the sunset and find my friends. <laughs> yep. <laughs> That's very much her train of thought. It very much and, is. Like, I don't know that I ship Nynaeve and Lan, but I do love Nynaeve having a crush on Lan. Yeah. It's a storyline. I'm, lo- I'm digging it. Yep. Yeah, they're they're going after Perrin, and Lan also seems very uneasy this section, which I think is something we're not used to seeing with Lan. Yeah, he's not so much in his element, it seems, when he's not actively protecting someone searching for threats or fighting something. Yeah, because there's like there's silence that's making Lan very uneasy and They are kind of surrounded by people who really seem to dislike them at Whitebridge. But he's also he's like very unnerved by the fade that was in town. And I think that's actually just like a lion um like a I like wrote that down from the book. Like uh-huh. Nynaeve points out that Lan is very unnerved. I'm not sure if it's just Nynaeve is picking up on these things from Lan because she's noticing him more. Maybe he was always this unnerved about these things and Rand just didn't notice because he's looking up to this. It could be. And they're also, he was pretty unnerved in Verlon about the Fade. But it he seems has a, like he, he was... has a go quick. But it wasn't, it, and in Rats, or in, Ran, in Rats, in Rand's point of view, it seems more like anger on nerve, whereas okay. I, the thing Nynaeve's picking up on is more like just unsettled and wary yeah. and a little scared. He seems, it's, I, I think a few things are happening here. It's implied, I don't think it's ever outright said, that it's real weird for Fades to... One, even be this far south. And two, for them to be in like operating in a city. And so this is behavior that Lan is not used to from them. Mm-hmm. And he know, he seems to have a lot of experience with creatures of the Dark One. Because he's a Borderlander, and it's said a couple times, like, Borderlanders deal with... border it, Trollocs and Fades are not myths to the Borderlanders. Yeah. They've dealt with them. And so Lan, as one of the Borderlanders, has a lot of experience with them. And this is so far out of what he knows them to do that he is probably quite worried about what's happening more than someone who's not from there would be. I pointed out, I think it's because it's just nice seeing character development with him. Okay. Because, like, we got, for the first good half of it, we kind of just got this one view of Lan, rock and slightly softer rock, but only towards Moraine. And only when Moraine was about to collapse on a battlefield. But maybe there is more to him, and that's just all that Rand saw and care about. It also might be all that Lan chose to show to children. And he clearly does respect Nynaeve immediately. Right. Once they're they're not with the boys and Egwene, because he... There was that moment of, like, the implied Sedai yeah. after Nynaeve. Like, he clearly respects her. Yeah. And so, since we haven't gotten a Moraine, we haven't gotten a Moraine point of view, I think this is as close as we're going to get right now to seeing who Lan is when he's not yeah. in dad mode. Pro tip, sneak up on men to make them like you. Don't do not do that. Don't sneak up on people in dad. <laughs> Unless, I guess, you are an assassin and are trying to kill them, in which case that's your job. But also, maybe don't just kill people. Don't do it. Maybe don't. Yeah, it's bad. It's bad. So, going back to that cliffhanger. It Just on a writing standpoint, that was a fantastic chapter ending. Yeah. I liked the whole chapter, but the ending was really good. Because I'm just, I'm just going to read it, because it was good. 
Rand began to think their problems were over until they reached Camelin. But then they came to Four Kings. And that was the end of the chapter. Yeah. Which is such a good chapter ending. Because, like, I want to, I wanted to keep reading. But I'm like, no, that's not the point of this podcast. I have to stop, re- to stop reading until we record. And then I can read it again. Like... No one is actively in danger. Interesting things are happening. And he's like, next time, here's what's going to happen. Yeah, it was just such a good, it was such a good chapter ending. Yeah, I'm excited. I I looked ahead at what the chapters were coming up. And while I am excited for them, it takes a little, like the plot lines start to take a while to come together here, which is very sad because they start to come together in really cool ways. Like, I thought you were going to meet a character in the next section that is, I I really like. I like, uh, it's a bit of a controversial opinion to like them, but I like them anyway. But no, it's actually episode eight that you'll meet them. Mm. Unfortunate. So, yeah. Uh, Going to our recurring segments. We have no min images updates. No, I don't think so. We just get more solidified of the two that were from the last episode. So we get more information about the wolves and we get more about the dagger. Yeah. Ship updates. Like I said, I'm not, I'm loving that Nynaeve has a crush on Lan. I'm not sure I ship it yet. Okay. But like, I do love this update. And Is that a thing you could ship? I don't know. Fair I have enough. to see. I kind of am on the Moraine and Land train. Very fair. Last. And they would be my OTP of this book so far. Sure. Sure. <laughs> not Perrin and Egwene? Nah, because they're like, I just don't think I can necessarily, like, OTP to me means like I can't see them with other people. Okay. Like, Egwene could end up with Rand. No. Who could Egwene end up with? There's a 14-book series. There's probably plenty of characters. That's fair. Very fair. Favorite moments? Mine is Rand having his own parent would know what to do moment. So funny. Yes. Same same here. That's one of mine. The other one of mine is when Perrin just absolutely goes wolf shit on some white cloaks. Yeah. it's just described really well it is just i really like that this is where that whole section that's why i picked the quote that i did for this episode because i just really like the imagery of that section this is where jordan's writing really shines and i think what i liked about most about that whole part is it's not clear until they're with the white cloaks what exactly happened like you're not sure that he killed two white cloaks until the guy's like you killed two white cloaks. All we know from that moment in Perrin's head is that he's kind of gone feral. Right. It's it's really good, and I like it a lot. Yeah. All right. This was episode six of Not the Beginning, chapters 28 through 31. Next time, episode seven, chapters 32 through 35. What happens in the Four Kings? We'll find out. Bye. Bye.